If you'll turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, get to the end of that chapter, sentence number 8 and 9, you want to circle those. Those two sentences will change your life. Celebrating 10 years, or they changed my life this fall, 10 years ago. I'll tell you how and why. Let me start with a story. Niccolo Paganini, ring a bell to some of you, maybe, a famous violinist, one of the, one of the most famous, and probably because of this story. <clears throat> he was standing before a packed concert hall. Napoleon's sister, the Duchess herself, was in that audience. Full orchestra. And on the final song, he's playing his violin. He's featured. And the E string snaps. But he's a genius. Right? He's, there's no one like him in, during that time. And so he's going to finish this song with three strings. And then the A string snaps. Boing. That's okay. He still has two to go. And then the D string pops. One string. Finishes the song every single note. The house goes wild, as you would imagine, right? You know, and everybody stands and applauds. And Paganini is kind of known for being a little bit of flashy. And so he holds his violin over his head and says, Paganini with one string. Cues up the orchestra, and he does the encore, the whole thing, one string. It's a great story. We're still talking about it, Paganini and one string. When Chuck Swindoll tells this story in one of his sermons, he ends with this. He says, life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how you react to what happens. Life is 10% of what you experience and 90% of how you interpret what you experience. That's true. Let me ask a few questions. You, do you have a goal in life? You have a goal for the next year or five years to be different, to to be changed, to not be defined by how you're made, the bent in your soul, not to be a victim of the magnetic pull that takes you to a place that you generally and almost always forget? Or are you, are you going to you have a plan about how you will no longer be surrendered to maybe the way you were raised or experiences in your life? Or are you going to actively participate in what God has planned for you to become like Christ in all of life? Do you have a goal for that by, by the time you're 30 or by the time you're 40 or 60? that you're not going to talk about, you know, the way you were made or the way you were raised or things that you experienced. And when you, when you talk about those things, you'll no longer talk about them with, you know, tears of defeat. But rather, you'll talk about those things as bragging rights of conquest. Is that, is there by this time? Do you have a goal for that? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to reach the goal? A road out, a road to freedom. Third question. Let's just pretend. You have a goal and you have a plan. What power, what power are you going to use to no longer be a puppet? What what power do you think that you could uh, take advantage of that could straighten a bent frame or erase or make trivial deep programming. What power? 
it's going to be, it's going to need to be supernatural. Good news. No, no, great news. Great news today because God has a goal for your life. He has a plan for your life and he has the power to make that happen. His goal for your life is to be who you were meant to be. His plan out, we're going to talk about that today. And the power It is the Holy Spirit that lives within the soul of a believer, a person that trusts Jesus Christ for the consequence of Jesus' death and resurrection. That person has the Holy Spirit, infinite power available. God's will for us is this, that we would be a saint, that we would be a saint. And in that sainthood, that we would brag. Yeah, uh uh-huh. God wants us to brag about what God has made in our lives about God's miraculous intervention, all the stories of God changing us. He wants us to tell everyone about that. As a matter of fact, when we become like Christ in all of life, each and every decision we make towards obedience, it is a public declaration. Say it in your prayers. It is a public declaration to all unseen creatures, demons and angels alike. It says when you obey him, it is, it is proclaiming to all these things. It is bragging. Here's the bragging part that Christ, Jesus Christ, is king. He is king of you. That as you pray the prayer, he rules in your heart as he does in heaven. That's the point of life. That's the meaning and purpose of all of life. Today we're going to talk about how we get there. Today we talk about the fundamentals of human understanding and change, the fundamental principles of human change. If we understand these, if we apply these, then we can live peace-filled life instead of panic. We could be compassionate and courageous. We can live courageously, not timidly. We can live joyfully, not in despair. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at about the power of change. We're going to look at two principles of change today, two, uh, I guess, ways of, uh, of influences that define who we are, for better or for worse. These things define us. For good or for bad, for better or for worse, okay? And if you want, you take notes. You can use this in parenting. You can use this like in in workplace situations. You can use this in friendships because they're just absolutely true about the nature of a human soul and what, what changes them, what makes a person who they are. Here they go. Number one, you are what you think. You are what you think. There has been an extensive study on this subject, but particularly this one that was, I'll be citing is, was in England. It took years to accomplish. It required a considerable amount of time, money, and energy. And what they did is they studied people that were under a considerable amount of stress versus those that were kind of living carefree lives. And what they did is they, they interviewed these people over years and tried to analyze and compare and contrast the two types of people. And what they found was, you know, first of all, the the number one influence was their perspective on life. This this made the most difference, it seems. The people that live stress-filled lives, you know, full of anxiety and and, and quite often bitterness, they were pessimistic in their outlook on life. Generally speaking, they felt they were stuck. The other people, the people who were living free lives, they were enjoying one day at a time. They were optimists. They were hopeful in their outlook. And they looked at their focus. The people that were living under the burden of, of all the responsibility, they tended to focus on their past. 
They looked behind them, and for, maybe for good reason, they saw for every silver lining there was a cloud. These people, they had stories to tell. They had stories of maybe personal injury or illness, about deep relationships that had been lost and broken up. Some of them would talk about maybe the way they were raised or the way they were made and how unfortunate that was. These people over here, the people that were just kind of pie in the sky, they focused on the future. They focused on tomorrow because you know what happens tomorrow? The sun will come out tomorrow. And that's how they looked at life. And when they looked at these two, they could see, obviously, that in light of their circumstances and situations and life injuries and where they were, they could see the difference. But the most staggering, shocking revelation was they started, the reason it took so long is because these optimistic people that were looking towards the future, they didn't talk about their past much. And so when they started interviewing them and doing follow-up questions and requiring these, these stress-less people to do their biography, they found this out, that these people over here, the ones that were enjoying life, they had the same stories as the stressed people did, some of them far worse. They, they had worse life circumstances. Some of them came from terrible backgrounds in even comparison. They suffered injury or some kind of prolonged illness. They had broken relationships, but they didn't live that way. So what was the difference? After years of study, this is what they said. The way they thought made all the difference in the world, in all the difference in their lives. This group of people over here, the ones that liked living every single day, they were Paganini with one string. That's how they lived. They were blessed to have one string. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you interpret it. And that makes sense because God has made us rational beings. We think, we think, do you want to change? Change your thinking, you change your life. Change your thinking, change your life. That's the first principle. There's another one. There's another way of looking at human psyche. And it's this. It's another school of thought that goes like this. If you do something long enough, then it changes your behavior and it changes who you are. It goes like this. You are what you do. You are what you do. And, and certainly, it goes back to Aristotle maybe before that, but Aristotle was writing his son a letter on how to live the beautiful life. It's called Nicomachean Ethics, and he writes his son this, the, the secret to life is habit, is practicing doing the right thing to, to, to live in virtue. I'll define that in a moment. But to live in virtue, virtue, you practice it over and over until it becomes pleasurable to be virtuous. It's changed you, just the practice of those things. And virtue is this, doing the right thing at the, in the right circumstance for the right motive, that's virtue. How do you get there? You just do it. You just do it again and again, and then it becomes you. I had a coach in junior high. He was a sadistic, mean-spirited coach, but he was a behaviorist. Uh, coach Rainey, I still remember his name. Don't remember the kids' names, but I remember this guy. He made an impression on me right there. He made an impression right there on me. 
he was uh, he 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 didn't read Nicomachean ethics. I don't think he read even the back of his Fruit Loops box. He, but he, he knew how to change a young man. He would grab us by the face mask and he would scream into the face mask and he would say, basically, you do what I tell you to do because if you don't, you're going to have instant regret. And if you do, you'll be glad eventually. And we were actually both of those. If we didn't obey, there was instant regret. And long term, we ended up being a pretty good football team. In parenting, you're a behavioralist when you have a three-year-old or a teenager because when they hit you with the why, 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 you, you know this. This is true uh, intuitively. You never negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> and so, you know, you're, getting, you're realizing what, what you're dealing with here, and you just say, you know what? Because I said so. Just do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. And maybe if they practice it long enough, they become that. Aristotle wrote this to his son. It was a summary of his virtue lessons. It is this. What you practice, you become. Think of that. What are you practicing? Because you're going to become that, for good or for bad. What you practice, you become. What are you practicing? Behavioral psychology, this just do it thing, that is especially effective when a person's kind of stuck, when they can't think their way out of something. They just need to kind of do their way out of something. So this view of psychology says this. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Okay. Change what you do, you will change your life. Change what you do, and you'll change your life. Those are the two ways that a lot of counseling and psychology pour their energies into. But what if they're both true. What if they kind of feed and fuel each other? That is another form of psychology, actually. If you change both the way you think and you change what you do, think of the compounding effect on this. Look what happens here. In a kind of a, you can jump this on this circle anywhere you want. You can change the way you think. That'll change the way you feel. That'll change what you do. Or you can just change what you're doing. It'll change the way you think. That'll change how you feel about life. And these things just keep spinning in a very positive direction. And then there you are, off to the right. You're becoming maybe like Christ had intended you to become. Very powerful. You are what you think and what you do. But here's the problem. This is nuclear. It's good for good and for evil. If you spin this the other way, again, jump on this roller coaster anywhere you want. You do something you regret. You do something bad. You're going to feel terrible. And then you're going to think terrible thoughts. So you'll do something really bad again, which leads you to thinking wrong. And then you spin off, and you're, you're in a tailspin. With all engines down, it ends poorly. But look, the point is, look at the power of this, right? Look at the power for life change. The, the, the profound wisdom that's found in these two principles, and especially when they work together with each other, they can, they can take us places that maybe we couldn't go otherwise. I'm just saying this. We are so lucky to live in the 21st century where we get to live, you know, on the shoulders of Albert Ellis and Alfred Adler and B.F. Skinner because I don't know how anybody else did it before these guys came up with this stuff. Well, there is Paul, the apostle, who wrote 2,000 years ago this entire library full of personal psychology, he wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, 
You are what you think. And then he said, you are what you do. And he said all of that in two sentences. You are what you think, and you are what you do. Paul asks this question in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4. He says, do you want to change? Do you want to change? Then think right. Do right. Look what it says. Let's look at these, uh, these two sentences here. Look at how they both end with commands, by the way. So Paul says this. Finally, family, he says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is no honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence, right, if, the, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Think these things. And then he says in verse 9, Okay, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, do these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Two big commands. Think right, do right. Let's look closely at the first one. Think right, verse 4, 4 8. Okay, look how it's broken down into like categories of, of things that are intellectually right and then things that are aesthetically right, beautiful. He says, whatever, whatever look at the emphasis on whatever. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any, these are summary sentences. What, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let's look at that. Six attributes. The first three have to do with truth. The second three have to do with beauty. And then the summary sentence of, of whatever is of any, anything of excellence or worthy of praise. But it's whatever, anything. Take it all. Here's the point. All truth, God's truth. All beauty, God's beauty. Art, music, movies, entertainment, books, whatever it might be. If it's true, if it's beautiful, let your mind dwell on these things. Les Miserables, pretty good book, kind of long. Pretty good musical. Focus on these things. It's cheesy, but a wonderful life has kept me up. You know, it's kept me in the business for a long, long time. Uh, Beethoven, that's beautiful. The Commodores, that's beautiful too. <laughs> now, some of you young people need to look that up because it's a band, okay? It's a band from the 70s and 80s. Anything, everything beautiful and true, that's the point. He says, let your mind dwell on these things. It means like, here's some uh, synonyms, to reckon, to reason, to ponder, to deliberate. It, it's a cow chewing its cud. It's just always chewing never kind of letting it go. Look, I, when I was doing this sermon, uh, listening to it, when I was going over it last night, I was listening to a Carly Simon song. I've heard a hundred times, a thousand, maybe 10,000 times. It's a beautiful song. I never chewed on it. I, I, I realized I was listening to lyrics and went, this is true. It's not just beautiful. This is a true song. Went into the interweb and looked up the lyrics and read along as she sang. Wow. That's what he's talking about. Reckon, ponder, you know, consider all that. Let it, let it simmer in there, right? Let it marinate your brain. What? These things. What things? The wise things. Things that are true versus a lie, that, that find reality. Honorable. That means grave. Things that cause you to feel awe. He says whatever is right or just. That means sacred things, set apart for a purpose things. Anything, any source. And then he says the beautiful things. He says the pure, that means holy, there's no defilement there. Lovely, it means attractive as opposed to being 
bitter or embittered, good repute. That would be like something that God would like to hear. That's what he means. And in summary, he says, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy. In this section, Paul asks us this. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Change your thinking, change your life. Change your thinking, change your life. You have to protect the thoughts that come into your brain so that the God of peace, the God of peace, not the peace of God, the God of peace will be with you. That's awesome. Here's how to apply this. Here's how to apply change the way you think. Okay? You have to use this list as like a filter for discerning what gets into your brain. Okay? Just like envision, picture this, right? Uh, you're moving from your current residence to a new place, right? A new apartment, new house. Now, you should have done this when you left, but we're going to use this illustration. Before you move anything into the new house, you get to start over, right? All over again. And you get to decide in your brain, the house is a metaphor for your thoughts, what gets inside. Anything from anywhere that is wise or beautiful. The movers, where do we put this? Uh, is it wise or beautiful? Yeah. Put that in the living room. I want to see that wise and beautiful stuff everywhere all the time. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, we got uh, excellent and, 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 and praiseworthy. Put that in the kitchen. Spend a lot of time there. All right, ma'am, we've got, I think from the way back, it's pretty dusty. It looks like it's been with you for a long time. Sure, it's, uh, it's this old box of shame with a bunch of ratty little sermons that have been banging around in your head for a long time. What do you want us to do with that? Well, I've had it for a long time. So, you know what? Put it by my bed, right there by the nightstand. It'll be the last thing I listen to when I go to bed. It'll be the first thing that I read when I wake up. Really? The lies you believe, that's what you want to go to bed thinking about? You know what is a terrible book that I try to promote? The lies I don't believe. No one cared because they don't believe them. It's the lies we do believe that we let into our minds and we let get into our souls, and these are the things that are supposed to be. Leave it in the truck, take it to the dump, throw it in the pit of fire, send it to hell where it came from. That's where lies come from. Take it home with you. That's where it's supposed to be. But instead, instead we let it inside. Paul is saying, you want to change your life? Change what you think. You are in charge of your thoughts. It's my subconscious. It's your subconscious. You're in charge of it. This is brainwashing. Yes, it is. It is brainwashing. Is it, is it wise? No, it's a lie. I'm just going to chew on it like gum that never loses its bitterness. Why? Is it beautiful? No, but I just thought, you know, I would play with it like a monkey plays with a hand grenade. What could possibly happen if I entertain this long enough? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Here's how. Here's how you change the way you think. The first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night, and probably somewhere in the middle, you, you take God's truth and you chew on it. You let, it, you let your brain, your thoughts, you let it marinate in this. And here's what I've done that really helps me because I'm taking God's truth and I'm making them my truth. Here's what I've done. These are life-changing in my experience, and here's how they became life-changing. 
Galatians 6.9 says this. It says, let us not grow weary in doing right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. Okay? That, the problem with that is it's written for everyone. And so what I've done is I've gone through and I've taken out the pronouns and I insert my name and make it a personal thought from God to me. And now it says this, so let Matt not grow weary in doing what is right, for he will reap at harvest time if he does not give up. That's the sentence that I write on a little card, an old business card, and I carry around and put on my dashboard and I marinate all day. I chew on that truth. That will change the way you think. Here's one that literally changed my entire destiny. John 3.16, it's written to the whole world, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I heard this for 20 years, didn't care. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Then, 20 years old, it's as though I were hit by lightning. I realized that wasn't a verse for everyone. It was a verse for me. And I filled it in like this, for God so loved Matt that he gave his only son, that if Matt believes in him, Matt may not perish, but have eternal life. That changed everything. I knew Jesus died for all man. That seemed like a strategic investment with a good return on. But when I realized I personally did crimes heinous and consistent, good, you know, long and deep, that I put him there. I crucified Jesus Christ. If I were the only one that ever existed, he would come here, and I had a vision where I was driving the nails into his hands and into his feet, and I went, oh, now I get it. And I feel like that was the time I was born again. That's when I understood. That's when it changed the way I was thinking. I marinated my brain on those thoughts. You decide, you decide what thoughts move into your head, what keeps your mind spinning. Paul says, do you want to change your life? You have to change what you think. That's what he says in chapter 4, verse 8 of the book of Philippians. And then he asks, do you want to change? You're going to need to change your behavior. You have to do what's right. Verse 9 says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, you practice those things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul says, do you want to change your life? Change what you do, and you will change your life. His emphasis here is that that you're, you're just doing what the leader says. You're following a leader. You find a mentor, and then you look, he says, he says, what you learned and received and heard and seen in me. Just do that. Just copy what I'm doing. We'll make sense out of it later. You will become virtuous when it becomes pleasurable for you to do these things. This, look, this is how we learn almost every life skill. This is how we learned how to read and write and do math and drive a car. We got somebody that was ahead of us, and they just said, okay, what you learned and see and heard, practice this, and you will. Just do it. Practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And his promise here is, is that the peace of God will visit you in a very special way. Here's a, just a do it verse. Again, change my life is, well, this is a life verse for me. For though the righteous man falls seven times, they get up again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. In 2009, I read that differently. In 2009, I read, for though Matt fall, has fallen seven times, he gets up again but the wicked stumble when calamity comes. I had to change that sentence. I had to just get up. I just had to get up. I didn't, I got tired of thinking about it. I had to just do this. Here's how you get right. 
Here's how you get right. Here's how you do right. Probably the most important application of doing is you find this, it's already saying like who you're around, you're probably copying what you hear and see. You need to find, maybe some of you need to find a new set of friends, a whole new set of friends. Some of you may need to find a new individual friend. That one person needs to move out of your life. Some of you might need to lose a significant other, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, because you're doing what he's saying, right? You're doing the learning and received and heard and seen, but you're following the wrong person. And it is very difficult to do this, but if their influence on you is consistently negative, then you have to do this. You have to change who you call a friend, who you call an influencer, and you will never regret ending a toxic friendship. You will never regret losing a bad friend. You won't. Full disclosure, you need to know this, especially if it's a, if it's a, a, a group of friends. If you choose to leave a tribe so that you would obey the, the Bible, so that you would become like Christ in all of life, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to cost you. So you need to know that. It will cost you loneliness. You're just going to need to brace before you start and know this is the tuition. When you are in a toxic clan of people, you're probably toxic too. If you're around people that criticize and snipe and are bitter, I bet you criticize and snipe and are bitter and are sarcastic. And if you say to them, look, I'm going to take a couple months off. I'm going to just kind of be over here trying to work on stuff. You're going to be rejected by them or you're going to go back and not want that anymore. And that path, that path of loneliness, it is hard. But I'm, I want to tell you the other half of this full disclosure. It is worth it. It is, it is worth it. You go through a drought, but then you get refreshed. You see the oasis at the end of this journey. And, 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 it, and what happens is, I don't know why this happens. It just seems consistent. But you kind of make this decision about who you're going to spend time with because it's affecting what you do and what you think. And then you go through the journey, and then suddenly it's like, where are all these people from? They are beautiful and truthful. Have they been here all the time? Yeah, they probably have been, but you weren't in that clump. And this happens, this happens fairly common with high school seniors. They look around and they go, there's a bunch of knuckleheads around here. And they have to go through a, a high school senior year where they're all alone because they're standing up for Jesus Christ. And they get to college and they look around like, there are thousands of people that love Jesus and want to live a life that it is braggadocious towards the glory of God. Where did they come from? They've been there. You just need to get together. You just had to get through that senior year. <laughs> then four years later, they're seniors in college. They go, look, where'd all the knuckleheads come from again? And then you kind of have to go through that year, and then you come out of that, and you go, well, you know what? It's not so bad out here again. It's just a thing that happens. I just want to, I felt like I needed to tell you the whole truth on this, that the most important thing you're going to do when it comes to doing is find a great set of friends. It's gonna, it might mean that you're going to have to lose a long-term set of friends or a friend or an influencer, but it is worth it. It is worth it because you're going to love what God does in your life. At Grace, the whole, one of the major you know, values that we have here is this, are these two verses. 
is what you think and what you do and the people you spend time with, huge impact. And so we've set up almost all of our ministries in, in a way that you could develop a relationship with someone so that you could, you know, follow them and you could emulate what, they, what you hear from them and what you see in them. You are to follow a leader. And then we also offer just as many opportunities for you to be a leader to someone else. Carry them along so that you can learn and receive and hear and see. And so you can be a person where other people learn and receive and hear and see. We understand the power of friendships, power of relationships. And I'm, my, my call here is that would you consider doing something at this church that's more than just attendance? Go to Reengage, which is a marriage ministry, or Celebrate Recovery, recovery Ministry. There's adult Sunday school classes. There's opportunities to serve where you're just rubbing shoulder to shoulder and you see selfless acts of service and you go, what does that mean? And you can, you can do that. And if you practice these things, if you practice these things, there's a promise here where it says the God of peace will be with you. The God of shalom. The God of blessing is what that means to this Jewish writer that wrote it. So that you might be a leader, that you might, you know, follow a leader. That's my, my ask today. It was 10 years ago that this, these two sentences absolutely changed everything. I lost the horizon on, on my dashboard, and I couldn't tell what was up or down or level. It was 2007 to 2009 were extremely difficult for me. And I was kind of spiraling out, and uh, I was thinking very bad thoughts regularly. Some of it had to do with circumstances around here. We had to, <laughs> we had to completely scrape to the ground the school that was sitting right where you are. Uh, it had been in existence for 25 years, had our name on it, everything. We had to end the choir. We had to make a lot of difficult decisions. And people couldn't wait to tell me how bad the decisions were. I would go to dinner parties, but weddings I would perform and I'd try to get out the back door because people would say, so I heard you don't like children and children's education. <laughs> what? And then the choir sorts of things, you know, God listens to choir music and you don't, so there, but you know, just all the, all the help I was getting from so many people wasn't really the big issue for me. There were two. One was I was surrounded by some really wonderful people that I had chosen. And within that place of safety, there were a handful that weren't wonderful. No matter how much I did, and by this time my body was pretty much wrung out, and, but no matter how much I did, I could have been doing more. And no, matter, and no matter how I did it, there was a guy somewhere else that did it so much better. And, and I realized and that was part one. I had some people in the inner circle that shouldn't have been there, and the, this is the part that matters. I chose not to listen to all the wisdom that was around me, but I chose to put in an echo chamber in my mind those other, those other voices. And I was really, I was in a desperately bad place, just teetering. And then I was, since I was thinking wrong, I was starting to do things wrong, and I know I knew Aristotle and what I practiced I'd become, and I didn't like what I was practicing because I knew where it led. And then, this is weird, okay, but I was watching a rerun or watching it again, The Matrix, which is Plato's allegory of the cave, never done better, okay? So it's a good thing and it's a true thing. And so I'm watching the allegory of the cave 
and there's a girl in the movie, the woman in the movie, her name is Trinity, and she jumps through the window. You kind of have to see the movie. She jumps through the window, rumbles down a, a flight of stairs, and then stops, and she's exhausted, and she's, and she's going to quit. And then she says to herself, get up, Trinity. Get up. Just get up, Trinity. And I watched that, and I kind of went, still think about it. I just think, that's me. I got to get up. And my, my life verse here, this is Proverbs 24. Matt, you've fallen down. Good for you. Seven times. Okay, get up. A righteous man gets up. Even though he's fallen down seven times, just get up. Don't think about this. You can't think anymore. You can't be trusted with thoughts. Just get up. And I went to this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and I thought, I got to do right because I'm stuck at thinking right, so I got to do right. And I thought, I can't get these thoughts out of my head, so I got to get some people out of my life. And so I got some people out of my life. And then I started surrounding, and then I went to this passage, and I kept thinking, is this a good thought? Is this a noble thought? Is this, is this a truthful thought? Is this a beautiful thought? Put up deflector shields up, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight for my life here. And then, I, and then I kept meeting with the right people, they were telling me the truth and inserting my name into Bible promises. And guess what happened? Ding dong. The God of peace is waiting at the soul of my, at my soul. He's just like, hey, I'm here. The God of peace visited me. Cassidy, we one string, made it. Do you want to change? Do you want to change? You have to change the way you think, and you have to change what you do. What you allow in your mind is the most important decision that you make, and most of us don't make the decision. We just play along. We just listen to whatever. No time for passivity. This is no time for passivity. You need to put the shields up. You need to put a high filter in. You need to reconsider what you view and what you read and what you listen to because it changes who you are. You need to change your habits. You need to change your habits. You are a product already right where you are. You are a product of what you think. And you are also a product of, of habits. What you practice, you have already become. What do you want to become? This is no time to be lazy. You need to find examples of people that are living a righteous life. And, and whatever they do, whatever you see them do, whatever you hear them say, whatever you enjoy in, in their lives, you do that. You follow an example. You be an example. 2020, the year, it's a good round year. That would be a great year for you to have as a goal to become like Christ, maybe not in all of life, but in one part of your life, just in one part of your life. And in that one part of your life, listen to this, in that one part of your life, because you're choosing this day to decide what you think and what you do, in that one part of your life, in the next year, you say to demons and angels all around, Look what the power of the grace of God has done in this soul. He's my king. Insert your name with one string. 
Do you want to change? Do you want to change? God has a goal, he has a plan, and he's given us the power. Let's brag about his work in our lives. Let's pray. Insert your name. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is right, those, tru- those truths, <laughs> those, are, those are wise things. The beautiful things, wherever it comes from, the pure and the lovely and the good reputation. If there's, look, if there's anything excellent anywhere worthy of praise, there it is. Let your mind dwell on those things. Let them marinate your thoughts. Let them cause you to become like Christ in all of life. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, whatever you've been instructed to do, you just do those things. Lord, I'd ask that we'd be a church of great stories that we brag to our friends, our strangers, and certainly the angels and demons about the power of your spirit in our minds and in our wills so that we might become all that you've designed us to be. We pray this for your glory and your honor so that the world and all of creation would know that you are king in this soul as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.